We are continuing our series in the New Testament book of 1 John, and we're going to pick up in chapter 2, heading into chapter 3. And just a reminder, when and, and I know you probably all know this, but when John wrote this letter, there were no um, breakdowns of chapters and verses when he originally wrote this letter. It, it was all just one continuous letter. The, the first English Bible that actually contained chapter and verse breakdowns was not until the mid-1500s. So all of those were added much later. The, you know, the, the chapter and verses, they're not um, Holy Spirit-inspired. Those were man-made creations. And there's times where chapters are divided, sometimes in the middle of a thought. And, and so there, there's times where you read one chapter and there's a break, and then the next chapter actually continues that same thought, but the, that chapter break was kind of put in, a, in, in sometimes an, an awkward spot. And, and one of those passages is where we're going to pick up this morning is one of those where, where there's, a, there's a chapter break in the middle of the thought of what John is saying. And so we're going to begin in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. And he says, And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and we will be and we will be, excuse me, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for he shall, we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. And I want to go back to verse 28. If we can put verse 28 back up on the screen. I don't want to go over it again because we've, we've talked about it, but, but I want to just point out once again that, that John refers to his, his readers as dear children. You know, he, he's writing to them, he's speaking to them as, as a father would, with love and with care and compassion and with concern. And if you recall where we left off last week, John was talking about how there were what he called antichrists who had come out from among them. Those who, Antichrist, those who were opposed to Christ, those who were against Christ. And he, and he, he was saying, all right, they, they used to be a part of the body of Christ. They used to be a part of the church. And, and for one reason or another, maybe they were led astray by some false teachers. Perhaps they were never really committed to the, the fellowship at all and were never really a part of the family. But for whatever reason, they ended up leaving the fellowship and were now starting to teach some false doctrines and leading other people astray from the one true gospel. The Apostle Paul actually, he, if you read through Paul's writings, he actually addresses very similar things, that there were other people that were teaching, uh, having heretical teachings that, that Paul was correcting. And, and one of those is in Galatians chapter, chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. I want to read to you what, what Paul has to say about those who preach a gospel different from the one that, was, that they originally heard. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to per pervert the gospel of Christ. 
And what Paul is saying, the same thing as it relates to those who are spreading this false gospel, it's not any gospel at all. We shared the good news, and, and anything that's added to that, anything that takes away from that, is not really the gospel at all. It is not good news. And in following up what he's saying about these antichrists is that they used to be in the faith, and now they were spreading this heresy. But in verse 28, if you can put verse 28 back on the screen, he says, he says my, my dear children, like I, I'm, I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you, I'm asking with you, don't walk away. Don't be one of those, 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 what I called antichrists, those that are opposed to God, that used to be in the fellowship and now they're not. But he's saying, no, I want you to continue. Continue in him. And the word continue is translated from the Greek word meno, which means to abide, to dwell, to live, to remain, to continue. He's saying, don't leave, but, but make fellowship with Christ. And by extension, fellowship with other believers, like make that your dwelling place. Stay there, remain there, continue there, abide there. And that Greek word "mino" actually is, uh, is, is very prominent in, in a very famous passage of Scripture. Actually, one of my favorite passages of Jesus' teachings in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 9. And likely you, you've heard this before, at least part of this before, where Jesus is teaching, he says, I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because the word I have spoken to you. But he says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. He says again, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you... You will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And that word that is translated remain in John 15 is the same word that is translated continue in 1 John 2.28, the Greek word meno. And in those few verses, Jesus uses the word meno nine times. Remain in me, continue in me, dwell in me, abide in me. And it's such a, it's such a beautiful word picture that, that Jesus paints right here about the vine and the branches. If, if you can actually put the picture up on the screen. And this is a picture of a grapevine. And you, you can see the vine, kind of the, the, the thing that provides the, the support, the stability, the nutrients, and the branches that are coming off of that main vine. And, and connected to those branches is the fruit that's stemming out. Th this is the picture that Jesus is painting in this moment. Where he's saying, all right, if you are connected to me, you are the branches that are connected to me as the vine. And when you do that, you're going to bear much fruit. But only if we mino, if we remain, continue, abide in him. In verse 5, he said, all right, apart from me, you can do nothing. And, and, if, you, and if we look at verse 8, he, he said, this is my father's glory 
that you bear much fruit. And, and it's a little bit of a clunky phrasing, but, but what, he, what the meaning is, he says, like, you esteem, you bring praise, you bring honor and glory, and you celebrate the Father when we bear much fruit, that that's God's desire for us to do so. But we can only do it when we're connected, when we're abiding, when we're remaining, when we are continuing in Him. And this is 100% pure speculation on my part, but, but I wonder if John was remembering that teaching when he was writing his letter, 1 John. Like he was, he was an eyewitness when, when Jesus was imploring his followers to mino, to abide, to remain, to continue in me. Like John was there when Jesus said that. And just as Jesus was, was imploring his followers to mino in Christ, mino in him, John is now imploring the churches, his dear children, to mino in Christ to remain, to continue, to dwell. Don't give up. Don't walk away. Don't, don't follow after some fad teaching of the day. Don't allow yourselves to be led astray, but remain faithful. Continue to walk in the truth. Walk in the way. And he says, all right, if, and if you do that, if you continue in him, that when Jesus comes back, and if you recall last week, we talked about that John said, all right, we're in the last days. Every, every one of the New Testament writers affirms that we are in the last days, and, and we said it's not as important when that last day is, it's, it's, it's how we're living until that day comes that's important. But, but when Jesus comes back, whenever that is, John says, you can be confident you won't be ashamed that, that when Jesus comes back, if you, if you continue in him, you can confidently say, Jesus, I stayed the course. I remained in you. I was, I was faithful even when it was extremely difficult. I trusted you even when everything around me was pointing me in a different direction. I abided in you. I rested in you. I dwelled in you. And continuing that thought is probably one of the most beautiful sentences written in the entire Bible. First John chapter 3, verse 1, he says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Continuing Christ. Why? Because God is lavished. That word lavished, I, I just, I love that word lavished. That he, he poured out, he showered us with. That, like he just, he heaped, he bestowed this love on us, like the implication being the amount of love that God has for us is so much that it's more than, than we can even know what to do with. Mir Merriam-Webster says that lavished means to extend or bestow profusely, something that's done in abundance, to, to bestow in extravagant quantities. Like John, John is saying, all right, you, you've been shown and given so much love that, that is almost unfathomable. What great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. I, I, I sometimes try to create mental pictures, and, and again, these are it's purely stuff in my head. It, it's, not, it's not scriptural or anything like that. I wouldn't say it's from God, but like I, I imagine John, as he, what, what was he like as he was writing this? As he was writing that sentence, what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Like I, I imagine like 
him having tears in his eyes, remembering the teachings, remembering the times that he was with Jesus, remembering how Jesus embraced Judas, remembering how, how Jesus embraced those that, and, and asked God to forgive those that were trying to murder him and kill him. Like what incredible love that God has lavished on us. Like I, I, I can imagine like his, his hand shaking as he's writing this because he's just, he's overwhelmed. And we've been called children of God. We are, we are known by him. He calls us his own. Not because of any good thing that we've done. In fact, the exact opposite. Like, like he, he's, he's adopted us into his family not because of anything we've done, but in spite of all the things that we've done. And one of my, not even one of my, my absolute favorite scripture, favorite verse in the entire Bible, Romans 5.8, says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated, he lavished that love on me, on you, while you were yet a sinner. He poured out in extravagant quantities. He, he showered us with this amazing love while we were yet sinners, while I was still neck deep in my sin, while God did not occupy a single thought in my head, while I was not only in my sin, I was enjoying my sin. I didn't want to be free. I, I, was, I was a mess and I was loving every minute of it. And it's in that moment, that moment that God lavished. He poured out his amazing love on me. Not after I fixed myself up. Not after I turned things around. Not after I felt sorrow over my sin. Not after I hit rock bottom. But while I was in the middle. In the middle of my sin. He, he lavished and poured out and demonstrated his amazing love by sending his own son to die for me. And what does John say? He says that we can be called. We can be called children of God. And he reaffirms it. He says it again. And that is what we are. And, and man, like, if, if that doesn't just, like, overwhelm you with just gratitude, I, man, I don't know what will... <laughs> This is good news for us today. God's grace has been extended and shown to us and poured out and lavished on every single one of us. But in addition to that, John actually says something incredibly unique about Jesus, though. In John, in when, Jesus, or when John was writing in his own gospel, in, in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is full of both grace and truth at the same time. He embodies both fully at the same time. All grace, all truth, all the time. Not 70-30, not 80-20, 100-100. 
Like if you think about the, the woman who was caught in adultery, like Jesus showed her incredible grace and compassion and, and love in that moment. That while others were looking to stone her to death, he stood up to defend her and rebuked her accusers. But he didn't just stop at offering her grace. He showed her grace and love and mercy and compassion. But then he also told her, but go and sin no more. Both grace and truth at the same time. He wasn't just saying, oh, you know what, your sin's no big deal. You can just keep on doing what you're doing. No, he, he's full of grace and truth. All right, I, I, I'm extending this mercy to you, this grace to you but don't stay in what you were doing. Go and sin no more. When Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well, he showed incredible grace and love and compassion again in speaking with her. That, that a, a man speaking to a woman, a Jew speaking to a Samaritan, like he showed her incredible honor and valued her and esteemed her in that moment. But at the same time, while he showed her grace, he also called her out on her five ex-husbands and the guy she was shacked up with right then. He's full of grace and truth. And John is going to give us a little bit of that in, in the next passage, that he was, he was just talking about the grace of God. Like what, what the incredible love that God has lavished on, on every single one of us. That we should be called children of God. And then he continues in verse 4. And he says, Everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. So anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. You say, man, <laughs> all right, John. All right, John's kind of throwing down there. Like, and it, like that's some pretty strong statements John is making there. Like he, he's like, he's not pulling any punches in this moment. Like he says, all right, and these are direct quotes. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. Anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him. When people keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil. They can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. And, and like, I'll just be honest, like, I don't know about you, but after you've committed your life to Christ, is there anybody here who still struggles with sin? Y'all better put your hand up because otherwise you're lying <laughs> right then and there. Like, I mean, every, every one of us do. Every one of us do. Like, we won't achieve perfection in this body. We're not going to achieve perfection in this life. Even after Jesus has saved us, even after we've been filled with his Holy Spirit, 
we're still going to sin. We, we have these mortal bodies. We still live in this fallen world. And, and as much as we wish it was not the case, sin will continue to be a part of our lived reality. And so what do we make of these statements, John, is, is, is just declaring here? Like, what, what do we do with that? That if we're abiding and continuing and minoing in him, that we're not going to sin anymore. What, what do we do with that statement? All right, if we do sin, we're a child of the devil. That if we don't live righteously, if we don't love our brother, we don't really belong to God. Well, let me, like, there's times I don't live righteously. There's times I don't love my brother. Is John really saying we don't belong to God? Like, is he really meaning that every one of us here that raised our hands and, and those of you that were lying and didn't raise your hands? Like, <laughs> like... <laughs> Like, like, the, like, is John really meaning that we're not God's children? If we continue to, to deal with sin in, in our life, is John really saying that, that once we've been saved and after Jesus has forgiven us, that not only we, that we can, but it should be expected that we live a sinless life? Is that, is that really what John is saying here? And so to... To kind of answer these, I want to take a look at something the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 20. He says, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So what Paul is saying, all right, like the, the more sin that took place, the more sin that operates in our lives, the more of God's grace also operates in our lives. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? He says, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Like Paul, Paul is saying, just because God is abundantly gracious and patient and loving, should we keep on willfully sinning so we can experience more of that grace? He answers his own question. He says, no, of course not. And that's the essence of what John is talking about here. John is talking about a, a willful, rebellious sin. Like his children of God, like we're not, we're not in bondage to the Old Testament, Jesus has set us free. He's given us liberty. We as God children, like we're not under the law, but we're also not lawless either. We've been given the law of Christ. And there's several different definitions of sin. And in this instance, John is not talking about sin as in like, oh, we missed the mark. You know, I fell short. It was, it was a mistake. Like, we, that's not what John is referring to here. He's referring to one of defiance, of rebellion. That when we read it in the original Greek, John's emphasis is not on sins, plural, but on sin, singular, like being in a state of sin, not committing sins. I, I, I want to, and it, it can sometimes be a difficult distinction to, to understand. I want to read to you a passage that uh, Warren Wearsby wrote uh, years and years ago. He used to be the pastor of um, Moody Church in Chicago. And he, he talks about it like this. He says, sin is basically a matter of the will. 
For us to assert our will against God's will is rebellion, and rebellion is the root of sin. It's not simply that sin reveals itself in lawless behavior, but it's the very essence of sin is lawlessness. No matter what his outward action may be, a sinner's inward attitude is one of rebellion. What what he's talking about is, all right, you can do the right things on the outside, but if your heart is not turned towards God, your your heart is still in sin, even though you might do the right things, He would be what what John, what Paul would call being in sin. And so he gives an example. He says, little Judy was riding in the car with her father. She decided to stand up on the front seat, and her father told her to sit down and put the seatbelt on, but she declined. So he told her a second time, and again, she refused. If you don't sit down immediately, I'm going to pull over to the side of the road, and I'm going to spank you, Dad finally said. And at this, the little girl obeyed. But a few minutes later, she quietly said, Daddy, I'm still standing on the inside. Like, the, the, this idea of, of, of lawlessness, rebellion, like, like it, it, it's, it's a posture of the heart. It's a posture of the heart. Is your heart turned towards God and turned towards the things of God and you still fall short? Or is your heart closed off to the things of God? Are you ignoring your sin? Are you celebrating those sins in your life. Now, John is not talking about the sins we commit after we saved and given our lives to Christ. He's, he's not talking about those times where, you know what, I, I, I was envious. I had a, lost, a lustful thought. I, I was too sharp with my wife. I, I, was, I, I disciplined my, my son out of anger. Like, that's not what he's talking about here. Like I said, it, it's this idea, like, all right, if, if, I, if I had this, this lustful thought, I walked out that door, got hit by a bus, you know, would I be forced to endure eternity apart from God? Well, no. Like, that, that's what is so amazing about God's grace. God's grace covers that. I, I've, had, I've had conversations with people about suicide, and, and, you know, like the question, all right, if a believer commits suicide, Will I see them again in heaven because they've, they've not had time to repent of, of their sin? And my response is, well, absolutely. You absolutely will. Because that's not how grace works. We're not just forgiven for the sins that we've confessed. God's grace covers our past, present, and future sins. However, it's also not license to sin. Because we've been shown grace, it's, it's not a, a, just a get-out-of-jail-free card. Hey, do whatever you want. We haven't been given a license to sin. Paul says, should we keep on sinning? He says, no, by no means, absolutely not. Just as Jesus said to the the woman caught in adultery, I want you to go and sin no more. I've, I've shown you this amazing grace. But don't stay where you are. Don't continue in that thing you've been doing. Don't stay in that mess, but go and sin no more. And so when John is talking about, hey, if, if anyone keeps on sinning, they don't know God, it, it's not so much a, a doctrinal statement that John is making, but more just an astute observation that God and sin don't mix. That the singular, like the, the state of sin, like God and sin in, in and of themselves don't mix. 
And so if you have that heart of rebellion towards God, if you're willfully sinning against him, John's, John's just saying, all right, you can kind of examine the fruit. All right, if that's what you are, if, if, if you have that heart of rebellion towards God, well, then you're not one of his children. That's not to say that when people do mess up, when we do sin, that we're not one of his children. But if our heart is cold and turns off towards God, if, if, as opposed to our heart being turned towards him, I hope this is making sense, that, that he's saying, all right, don't fool yourselves. That if your heart is not really turned towards God, you're not actually saved. But what he's not saying is, if you sin, and, and we all do, if you miss the mark, because we're all going to, even after we're saved, he's not saying, all right, if you still struggle with one sin over and over and over again. He's not saying, well, hey, tough, you're not a part of the family of God. That's not what John is saying in this passage. But rather, if your heart is in active rebellion towards God, if you celebrate your sin, if you're proud of your sin, if, if, if you have no desire to be set free, having that rebellious attitude towards him, that's who he's addressing in this passage. Saying, you don't really know God. You're not really a part of his family. And I shared, I, I shared a couple of weeks back, we kind of fast-forwarded to the end of 1 John, and there, there's a verse where John, again, kind of unpacks and re-explains, all right, this is why I wrote this letter to you. And so in 1 John 5, 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He's saying, like, my intention is not to cause confusion. My intention isn't to, to make you worried about, all right, where do I stand with God? He's not writing to, to have anybody doubt or question their faith. In fact, he, his intention is the exact opposite. He's, he's seeking to provide assurance of their salvation. And, and I believe that's his intention for us today as well. And so please don't take what John is saying about if we continue to sin, we don't belong to God as an open door to question your own faith or question whether you're right with God. That if you've, if you've put your faith in Jesus as the Son of God, if you've come to that place of recognizing that that you've fallen short of God's perfection and you've trusted and found that need for, for a perfect Savior, that Jesus lived that, that perfect, sinless life, that he died and was resurrected three days later. Like You're secure. You can have assurance of your salvation. Jesus said in John 10, to those he's given eternal life, no one can snatch you out of his hand. Amen to that. That if we're his, no one can snatch you out of his hand. And so I, if, if you've wrestled with that at all, right? am I really saved? Am I really in the family of God? I, I'd recommend a book to you. I, I may have recommended this before because that was me for a long time. And quite honestly, if, if I'm being fully transparent, I still struggle with that sometimes. <laughs> There's times I've fallen short and I look at my life and say, all right, look, would, would a pastor, would somebody who's really saved do that, think that, say that? As much as I wish I didn't. 
But one of the things early on in my walk with God, I struggled with it all the time. Like, I, I, I was one of those, all right, I, I'm, I'm going to raise my hand. I'm going to get saved every week. Like, I'm, I'm going to commit my life to, to Jesus. I'm, I, you know, like, that, that, was, that was where I was. And I had somebody recommend a book to me. It's by J.D. Greer. It's called Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. I, I love the title. And the subtitle is How to Know for Sure You Are Saved. It, it's, a, it's a fantastic book. It's a great resource. It's really short. You can probably read it in one sitting. But it can help answer some of those questions that, that maybe you've had or maybe you've wrestled with. But I want to close with just posing a question to, to the room, to our church family. Because John was saying his, his intention, one of the reasons for writing is so that we can know that we have eternal life. And he provides, like throughout his letter, he provides some questions for us to consider. Are, are, am, am I truly in fellowship? Am I truly in fellowship with Christ? Have I truly been adopted into his family? And, and so this morning, I, I just want to just ask our church, Let's just do an internal heart check. An internal heart check. Because maybe you've never made that commitment before. Maybe, maybe you've never truly put your faith and your trust and your hope in Jesus. Maybe you've never acknowledged your sin and your need for a Savior. I, like, I want to say, hey, let today be that day. Let today be that day. So I'm going to ask everybody, just close your eyes right now. And if that's you, if, if maybe you've never come to that place of saying, Jesus, I, I need you. Jesus, I've been a mess. Jesus, <laughs> that I've been neck deep in, in my sin. I've been celebrating it. I've been enjoying it. I've not wanted to be free. It, it's, been, it's been a riot. But I, but I recognize that there's something there that isn't right. I recognize that, that I, I need a Savior. I need to be set free. I need to be made a new creation. If, if you've never made that commitment, if you've never put your faith and your hope and your trust in Him, would you be willing just to raise your hand right now and allow me to pray for you? If not, that's fine. I see a couple hands in this room. Praise God. Let's pray together right now. And those that raise your hand, I want you just to pray this from, from your heart in, in your own words, that, Lord, we, we just love you. God, we thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you for your amazing grace, that you've lavished your love upon us, that we might be called children of God. Lord, that, that you demonstrated your love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, while we were in the middle of our mess, Christ died for us. God, that you lavished your love on me when I least deserved it. And God, I just want to thank you. God, I acknowledge that you are the one way. You, are, you lived that sinless life. I acknowledge my need for a Savior. The countless ways that I've fallen short, Lord, and I just throw myself at your mercy and, and ask you to have grace upon me. 
And that we want to go and we want to do what you said to the woman caught in adultery. We want to go and sin no more. We, we know we're going to fall short, but God, our heart's posture is turned towards you. And God, we ask for your help. We ask for your freedom. We, we ask, God, that you would set us free from all of those things, God, that bind us and hold us. God, we trust you. And we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.